Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guests to look back over their life and pick five things from it that they would like to put in a time capsule, four things they love and would wish to preserve or have again, and one that they're happy to banish from their life and never have to see again. My very special guest this week playing this game of reminiscences with me is Sir David Jason OBE, or as he's known to the world, Del Boy. But Only Fools and Horses, memorable and successful as it clearly was, is just a tiny part of David's career, which has taken him from touring theatre shows to starring in the West End, to radio, to television shows such as Do Not Adjust Your Set, Open All Hours and Porridge with Ronnie Barker, uh, A Bit of a Do, in which he played Ted Simcock, he also played Captain Frank Beck in All the King's Men, Scullion in Porterhouse Blue, Pop Larkin in The Darling Buds of May, and of course, Detective Inspector Frost in A Touch of Frost. He's won a number of British comedy awards, lots of national television awards, and four BAFTAs, including being made a fellow. Most recently, he's been back behind the counter, keeping Arkwright's shop going in still open all hours. I mean, let's face it, David is a comedy legend and a national treasure. He recently released his autobiography, Adele of a Life, which is a great read, I have to say. Well, I should know. I recorded it as an audiobook. Rather beautifully, I have to say. Anyway, to commemorate this event, David agreed to meet up with me at the Ivy Club in London and talk about the things he holds dear and one thing he'd like to bury in the ground and banish. This is that conversation. Right, are you starting, Michael? I am starting, yeah, that's okay. it. We're off we go. We're going oh. to talk about five things from your life, little mm. insignificant things that you'd like to put into a time capsule, preserve for posterity, 
or yeah. for your daughter mm. so that she can look at it and show your grandchildren? Well, that's a difficult question to uh, answer, but <laughs> there is a story that's in the book, yeah. right? What I'm sort of mostly known for, for the general public, is, I suppose, uh, Del Boy, yeah. Derek Trotter for Fools and Horses, which I'm, listen, I'm very proud of in a way, but it's, uh, it's a bit like a ghost. It keeps coming back to haunt you all the time. But fortunately, it has been a springboard for me to do other things which I'm equally proud of. And I'm grateful for it in one way, and it's been a, a sort of bittersweet thing in another. Uh, so the book is called A Dell of a Life. The Dell of a Life is a sort of play on words, then let's say, you know, oh dear, oh dear, it's a bit of a hell of a life. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean, pal? So I would have that book, which is one of a trilogy, which is the third one that I've done, mm. and I would put that to answer one of your questions. Yeah. And that is because, because it's a record of what I've done and... My catchphrase, which I try to say to everybody, and especially to my daughter, is it's the journey, not the arrival. So that means that I aimed for success, but I aimed to be better at what I was doing. That was my driving force. Mm. So what it did, it drove me to try and be self analytical and self-judgmental onto my work, what I was doing. Yeah, so critical of it. Yes, yeah. And so I was constantly criticising myself. And I can tell you this, that when I was learnt the trade, I did it by coming through the theatre. Yeah. Now, where I suppose you and I have a, a sort of fond memory and where we're very fortunate is having some work, some continuity in the theatre, mm. which meant that I could go on for hours and tell you all sorts of things about what I learned from different people that I worked with. But the one thing that started it all off in this analysis of what we're talking about is that I was doing Peter Pan. And I had a front cloth to do with a wonderful old uh, musical actor called Leslie Cerrone. Uh, now, Leslie Cerrone, he did a musical act many, many moons ago with another performer. They were called the Two Leslies. And they were so successful and famous. And, for example, uh, they used to write very funny ditties and things. And they were musical and um, they were private party sort of things. And he wrote, Savannah's a funny full man. Oh, and really? and Lee and Savannah's a funny full man. <laughs> that did he? Yes. <laughs> and so he, he wrote Peg Leg Pete. And yes. there was so many musical songs that the two Leslies wrote. And nine times out of ten, they were comic songs. Yeah. And so that one... Is, it was typical. Now, I worked with him. We had such a good time. But the point of the story was that we had to do a front cloth, which was me, Leslie, and the crocodile, which we had a lad in a crocodile skin <laughs> that came on, on wheels. I wonder what happened to him, poor lad. Poor lad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
there is a story, but I can't relate that here. Um, <laughs> what happened was that every night we used to go out, and our job was, amongst other things, I played the gentleman Starkey, which was quite a nice part in Peter Pan. And uh, he played Smee, so we were a little double act, as it were, in the story of Peter Pan. But what they decided to do was that they put us on in a front cloth to entertain the audience whilst they changed the scene behind into the boat for the big finale scene for mm. the thing. Anyway, we went out there every night and we were did as wrote, as directed, right? Well, we used to go out there every night and die the death. Uh. Die the absolute death. Ooh. So we used to play the full houses with nothing. Oh, dear. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more humiliating and, and things to destroy you is if you are uh, got a heart and a soul, yeah. as an actor, I mean, mm. to experience that. Mm. And I, got, I kept saying to the director, can we do something? Can we do, it's just not working. It's just not working. Can we, could somebody write us some jokes? And it said, listen, that's what's written. You just carry on and do it. You're doing a good job. The job is that you uh, to do that whilst they change to the shit yeah. behind. So I suffered it for a while. And then I went to see Ron Moody, who was playing Captain Hawk. And I said, Ron, it's not working, this front cloth. And he said, why? What do you mean? And I told him that I wasn't getting a... Nobody was laughing. We're supposed to be yeah. funny. We're supposed to be doing silly funny, making people laugh with a crocodile. And it's also, you know, because of your instinct. Yeah. It's not because you're doing it wrong. It's because it doesn't work. Exactly. That's a very good point. And so I said to him, what should we do? Can you give me some jokes? And Ronnie said, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, the problem is not getting ended up. I'm doing as directed. And it's just... So that's what he was sort of waiting for. He says, yeah, yeah. ah. He said, OK. So now what are you going to do? He said, are you going to listen to the director or are you going to listen to the audience? So I said, I paused for a minute or two and then I said, well, I'd listen to the audience. And he said, there's your answer. Mm. And I got on very, very well with Ron Moody. We were good, good mates. We always go out together. And oh, anyway, so I left his, left his dressing room. And on the way back to my dressing room, this was drip feeding into my... Because I was expecting to get a whole list of jokes, then you do that, and then you do that. Yeah. But then it occurred to me that he's right. It's me and the audience. I have to do it. I have to learn, mm -hmm. which was the greatest lesson that I basically ever had, and which I also had another lesson from my governor, Ronnie Barker. But the point of that little story was that that was my training ground. Mm. In other words, I went out every night and I had to think of ways. What are we gonna do? Right, I'll tell you what, we'll try this. So we set ourselves a course. Now, all I can say to you is this, I went totally against director, which I shouldn't be talking about this if you're a director. <laughs> But I knew it in my heart and soul, I couldn't go out there anymore and not entertain that audience. The last night of the entire show, I came off from that front cloth 
to wonderful rounds of applause. Wow. And the director that I walked past was standing in the wings because it was the last night. And he just looked at me and he said, that was absolutely brilliant. Well done. Yeah. And I bit mm. my tongue. Yes. But what a learning curve that absolutely. was. And we should put that crocodile into the time capsule to remind you of that lesson. Yes. Always listen to the audience. That's item number one. Yes. Yeah. Listen to the audience. And you've applied that right through your career. I mean, the book is absolutely full of examples of that, of where you've pursued the comedy of it to the point where something that is quite small and seemingly not that funny, you know, a laugh, becomes a whole routine and gets a, a round of applause. So you develop it, you work on it, using the audience, listening to the audience. Yeah. I would remind you of something that I saw you do at the Oxford Playhouse in 1978, oh. I think. Yeah, go on. You did a thing with a cornflake packet in the Norman Conquest. The Norman Conquest. You're absolutely right. And that is a very good example. That was a learning curve for me. Seeing you do that, I was only a student at the time. But yes. I saw you do that and I instantly knew that you'd done that. That you developed. How did you, I how just did knew you it. knew that? Well, it, it just, the whole play sort of, in a way, stopped for a moment <laughs> it, before the breakfast scene. And you did this fantastic routine where you had a cornflake packet, and as you poured it, the radio played a marching band. And then you looked at the cornflake packet, and you looked at the radio, and then you stood up, and you went, by the left, quick, march. And he went, That's it. across the stage. Yeah. And it got a round, of, a massive round of applause. Yes. And, and I went back, and I bought a copy of the play, yeah. and it's not in it. No. You see, now that's an absolute example of what I'd learned from Ron Moody. And... What it was, and this is important, that I was so absolutely, now I look back and you go, that learning the trade, the audience tell you things when you're using your brain. And it's so interesting that you brought that up because that was typical of me. If I found there was a need, a gap, Yes. An instinct that's saying there's something missing here. I'm sure they're waiting that want something. I don't know what it is. And, and then you keep searching in your mind. You're going out every night. You're doing the play as wrote. And then something will occur to you. And then what occurred to me was I did that at home by accident. So what they then, with the stage manager and I, we worked to get the right material in the box to give you that sound loud enough for the audience to hear. Of course, cornflakes would never do it. No. You see, I tried to repeat that gag. Yeah. I tried to steal it from you. Well, I'm sure you did, you swine. I, I know. I thought it was such a funny thing. I tried to do it and I couldn't do it. And, uh, and right at the end, I think somebody, we put a false bottom and gravel. Yeah, it might have been something uh, like that, to be fair. Almost certainly that's what you did. Yes. But it took us a long time to work it out. Yeah. But it was, a, it was foolproof. Yeah. So I owe you, you 20 quid. Right, okay, you're on, love. <laughs> the other thing in that play, which now you reminded me, and I was talking about searching in your mind, but it's not, as I say, I was lucky you were working in the theatre. You've got to work with your fellow actors. You can't just keep doing things for yourself. You have to work as a team. Yeah. And you have to include your fellow actors, and they've got to get them to agree with you, because if they don't 
some, well, you know, actors as well as I do, they'll start saying, oh, who's she doing there, stealing those things, upstaging me? There's all of that. So mm. you have to be careful. In those circumstances, if they want to, they'll step on it. Yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the other things in that show, which again, uh, oh, thanks, sweetheart, which um, he comes on, he's on his own, but he's pissed. <laughs> yes. He's a bit pissed. That's where he puts a record on. Girls were made to love and kiss, and who am I to interfere with this? And it's a recurring theme that goes through the three plays. Mm. So, but what happened was, he comes in, and he's pissed, or he's, or he's well-oiled, let's put it that way. <laughs> so he comes in, and he winds up the record, the old-fashioned record player, and he puts the record on. Girls were made to love and kiss, and off it goes, lovely. And it occurred to me one night that, Wait a minute, if I'm pissed, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> no, so what I did was I wound the machine up, switched it on, and then went to put the record on and couldn't find the hole. <laughs> so it went like this. <laughs> so he goes... Round and round. <sighs> oh, it. brilliant. Just flow through the hole. Yeah. Of course. And oh, it's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. And for some reason, which is ridiculous, yet sort of obvious, of course that wasn't the thing. It's because you're pissed, love. Yes. That's all it is. It doesn't make any sense at all. No. And yet it's funny. Yeah. It's, it's a so wonderful thing, isn't audience it? audience loved it. You see, and that thing of realising that and then learning that through playing in front of an audience, you can then take that into a situation where the audience isn't there and yet know how they're going to react. So when you're rehearsing something, I remember... Well, I will talk about us rehearsing Only Fools and Horses because yeah. you insisted on all of us. You said, don't go when you've rehearsed your scene. Stay. Stay in the rehearsal room with us. We'll be a company. And that's what you were saying about sharing it with your actors. I remember at the time being incredibly impressed with it and also really flattered. You said, stay. And if you've got any ideas, say them. Yeah. And we'll all work together. Yeah. And so I stayed there all day watching <laughs> you work. You know, yeah. It was... Great. And there's a little moment in it, in that episode that we were in, where you're on the phone talking to the people downstairs and Nick takes your hand and slams it down on the thing. And you then go, ow, all right, careful. Not in the script. They're just again and again and again throughout that episode. Yeah. There are little, just little moments. And that thing that you say of, of just embroidering That's it. it. Making it more detailed. Yes. Adding layers to it all the yeah. time. Being able to know that if I do that, I know what an audience reaction will be because I've done that sort of thing before. Yeah. And I learned from, strangely enough, Terry Scott, which mm. you don't learn very much from Terry Scott because he was a difficult man. Ah. But what he did say to me, which is absolutely right, apropos of this conversation, you can't teach comedy. You learn it. And at the first time he said that to me, I went away for a long time thinking, what do you mean teach and learn? It's the same thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit thick sometimes. <laughs> but that was exactly right. Mm. That being out every night in the theatre and having the courage to have an instinct inside you saying, the, the audience is not seem to be following this or they're not enjoying it or there's a gap here there's a gap how can i it needs filling mm. 
And I've got to do something to entertain because mm. that, to me, was the most important driving force. But I also enjoyed, to be honest, I enjoyed the, the reaction, people laughing, and I was going, <laughs> you know, it's a bit like an opera singer, I suppose, yeah. you know, getting around for just singing a few clever <laughs> notes that somebody else has written. But also, as you say, the courage of it. Yeah. Because there is a possibility, always in that situation, yeah. you'll get no reaction. Yes. The thing yes. you thought was funny yeah. wasn't funny. Exactly. You didn't think it was funny. So what you then do, you tire it two or three times and then you go, that's not going to work if we cut it. For, forget that. Forget it. Forget sorry. It. Let's forget move it. on. Let's go somewhere else. Mm. So I was very, very fortunate to be able to do all that over the years and years and years. And that is, for example, that falling through the hatch, which everybody thinks was, you know, a great sort of coup. And where that came from was John Sullivan, the writer, who said to me one day we were in the bar having a drink, and he said to me, I was in the bar the other night, the wine bar. So I said, oh, yeah, he said, yeah, I saw this piece of business you might like to do. So I said, what's that? And he said, I saw this boat, I'm just standing there, you know, sitting there, and there's a boat at the bar, and he was leaning on the counter and he told me this. Yeah. He said, and what happened was, the, the barmaid went through the thing, left the counter up, the thing up, and he went to lean and he didn't, he, he, he missed it and went up. And then he looked around to see if anyone had seen it because he was sort of embarrassed. And uh, he was sort of going, yeah, what well, I meant to do that. Yeah, sort of and so John said, shall we do it? And I said, yes, yeah. I said, but I'll fall through the hatch. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but this bloke didn't. He just did. He said, I know, but I will fall through the hatch. So he said, well, why? What's that? So I said, because that's really funny and I know it works. He said, how do you know? I said, because in farces, every farce I've been in, yeah. there is a settee in the middle of the stage, nine times out of ten. And what I used to do was to lean on the edge of the settee, <laughs> right, and say, and the thing I said to the vicar about was that, well, it wasn't really me, but what it was, was get and miss the back of the city. John, yeah. And big laugh, sometimes round of applause and all that. And especially that thing, as a, and I bet you always did the thing that you did in the Only Fools episode, which is you'd come back up and pretend it hadn't happened. That's right. You know? Yes. What? What? Yeah. Where'd you go? So, what? Yeah. What? It was, I meant right? to do that. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, so... You're quite right. You're quite right. But that's daring to do it as Absolutely. well. I'm going to have a go that, at this. You do something like that and it doesn't get a laugh. Yeah. You've taken a big risk and yes. you look like a real fool. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the, the audience sort of go, which on occasions they have done, gone, phew. <laughs> but what I learned about that is a learning curve as well because mm. over the years that I'd done this in all the different farces I'd been in, I'd worked out, I'd learned, I'd learned how to work it. And one of the little tricks of it is this. If you go to lean on it, and then as you lean, you look. You look where you're going, and what happens is the audience go, oh, oh Christ, he's, he didn't mean to do that, yeah. right? Because that's a natural reaction. Mm. That if you did miss that, your instinct to save your head is to... As your eyes tells your brain very quickly to put your hand out to save yourself, but your knee goes as well. That's the natural way to do it. Yeah. So when you first start to do something like that, and you go, you go, what? That didn't work by itself. But if you do this, you 
looking at you, the audience, and I lean with this and I'm still looking at you as I fall right away. You through. never take your eyes off me. Yes. That, that is, is that is funny. And that's the so audience. So anybody can look back at that clip and analyze it and they will yeah. see all those moments in it. Yeah. It's not a simple piece of business. No. It's a thing that's developed over years and years and years yes. to that sort of perfection. Which is why it was voted the funniest moment. No, well, I don't know, ever. I suppose so, but but that you've just put your finger on it that I was fortunate enough to learn. Mm. When I first did it, I scrabbled at it. It nearly happened by accident, so my hand slipped a bit and I saved myself, I think, I think, yeah. going back. And then I thought, I wonder if I did actually miss it. I wonder what would happen. <laughs> so the next night I went out and missed it and it got something. Yeah. It got something and then I realised, but it doesn't get as much and sometimes I heard the audience go, ooh, and I thought, but wait a minute, I think I'm hurting myself here. I'll just try, just try and look at them. As though I'm in command, I know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> and that was the trick. And there That's it is. That's what it was. Yes. And it was wonderful. Fantastic. So uh, I would suggest, David, that there's the second item to go into the time capsule would have to be um, that thing from the Norman Conquest, the, the packet of cereals, the... Um, uh, Kellogg's. The, the cornflakes, yes. <laughs> corn well, fruit and fibre. Fruit and fibre. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I wanted to do it. And it came out of the fact that no one was talking to Norman. Mm. He came down and he was, he'd been at it with somebody and he was pissed, mm. been pissed, sorry. Mm. And they were all giving him the cold shoulder. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And he was chattering away and everybody was ignoring him. Yeah. So then I thought, there's an opportunity here. Yeah? Right. Nobody's listening to me. No one's taking any notice. So I worked it out. I could do this piece of business. Squirt, head, shot. Motherland, quick, oh. yeah, and he bought. As I you can know. see it now. Yeah, I mean that's you know when is that? Oh my word, that's fifty years ago. I can still see it. Well, that was great that you you remembered that because I I hadn't. But it it was an example of I suppose anecdotally what we're putting in. Yeah, is it's the journey, not the arrival. Now, meaning meaning. So here I am, and touch wood, yeah, I've been very successful, and I'm very grateful for that. I've had all the twists and turns and up and down, but I did something that I was in love with, which was to entertain people. I was very fortunate in that. The other thing I was very fortunate about was that I wanted to be better than I was, and I was constantly searching. So what that gave me in every production that I'd been in, which I learned my trade, was working out pieces of business and how to do it. And I remember in Charlie's Aunt, for example, <laughs> yeah. he has a dinner party with the girls, the ladies, and he has to um, eat or an afternoon tea, whatever it is. And so I worked it all out. And it's written in the script that he entertains the ladies at yes. afternoon tea yeah. or whatever it was. And what I said was, all right, okay, after being on this stage for about a week, two weeks, and I thought, I know how to wind the girls up. So I said to the stage manager, give me a bowl with some lettuce on it. <laughs> so, of course, I set it up to entertain the other actors, yes. the actresses. And the reason I did it, it was to have them corpsing, right? But the difference was... 
if I hear them corpsing at something the audience can see, as opposed, you know, as actors, you can do things to each other mm. without the audience knowing that I can make you laugh, but the audience doesn't see it. It's sort of unfair on the audience, yes. that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But if you can bring them all in, Lovely. do something that the actors hadn't seen before, but the audience had, and, well, it's magic, it's yeah. magic. And so what I did with that was I was <laughs> just talking and cutting up this, and I realised if I cut a big lettuce leaf, and I put it in my mouth, <laughs> and all the lettuce leaf was hanging out, right? Like so, some sort of toad. Yes. Right. And then I'd be trying to talk like this. And you now had never seen this before, <laughs> so you would be starting to go, wouldn't it? So in order to get you to go even further, I started to sort of get the fork. Poke it back. Yes. Oh, and brilliant. Again, again, that's... You see, I would love to be on stage with that. Yeah. Particularly yeah. with the audience knowing. That's the thing, the audience yes. knowing it. And actually, in your book, there's a fantastic bit, because I have to say, your book's been beautifully read for audiobook by some excellent actor. I can't really? remember his name, but he's very good. I'd listen to that if I were you. I probably will listen to that, because yes. I might learn a thing or two. <laughs> I, could, I could pinch some of his intonation. Yes. <laughs> there was... Uh, in the book, you talk about going to see the goons when you were a, yeah. a young man. Yeah. And that, again, that enjoyment of watching people enjoying doing their job. You're absolutely right. So there are pieces of anecdotes and things in the book that I draw on. And that's, that's very interesting that you point that out. That where did this all come from? Where did this spirit of... Uh, danger of madness sometimes, like I've just described with yeah. poking a bloody lettuce inside your face and <laughs> pretending that you're... Because he's supposed to be a woman. Yes, and elegant and yeah. genteel. You see? You put your finger in... Now, I've got, you've got those two things in your mind. I've got to be a woman, pretending to be. Mm. I've also got to be elegant, not upper class, but I'm a boy and a lad who's been forced into this situation. <laughs> so he doesn't know how to be, to no. do that as no. a woman. So but he does know when he gets the lettuce leaf, Christ, I've got a great lettuce leaf hanging out of my face. How am I going to... I've got to be elegant. So I can't he use got, my fingers. No. <laughs> so he uses a fork, doesn't he? And the knife. So, of course. So, so, you see, it all has a, a link. Mm. All has a history. You can't just do things just out of the wind. They have to have a journey. Yes, but does that come from that seeing sort of Sellers and, and Seacom and, and them? I suppose it did, and that's the other thing that uh, was important that I tried to, I think, I hope, bring out in the book, is that that thing that I've said, the journey, not the arrival. In other words, if you're doing something with a group of people, and in my case, fellow actors, that we're doing something that we love doing, and it's a enjoyable experience, whether it's a drama or not. The fact that you're entertaining and you're projecting a character or somebody that is outside yourself to them, mm. that you are doing it instinctively to entertain, mm. to make them enjoy what you are doing. It's quite a complex thing. But you mentioned that where it must have picked up somewhere. I loved when I saw the goons working, which was mad humour that had its own mad logic of mad people, you know, 
and you had these actors doing silly voices and being really silly. But to watch them really enjoying themselves, and sometimes they were corpsing themselves silly and had to stop the recording and say, oh, come out, where were we, you know, and enjoy it. Yes. And they were all great friends, all having a great time, and including us, yes. which was us live audience. And, and people forget that you had an extraordinarily long radio career. Yeah. I mean, incredibly yeah. successful. You were in Weekending yeah. for forever. Yes. And then also, as a younger actor coming along and somebody going into that area, I was a big fan of the Jason Explanation. Oh, it, yeah. It inspired us to do many of the things that we did in... I did a show called Radioactive. Yeah, on, on Radio I do Club. remember that. And many of the things that we did, I think we sort of... Stole. Be uh, honest. We... we we, we did an homage. Oh, God, you use that. It's the second time you've used that. You know, as you pinch my business. My entire career has been an homage. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you're doing it again now. I know. That's, I'm doing an homage to you. And, yeah. And Nick, you. that's it. Marvellous. All money goes to my son. You're <laughs> <laughs> bloody swine. You make sure he gives me something. All right. I'll send it round to you. Yeah. So, um... Shall we put the goons into the time capsule as your third item, David? Yeah, Eccles and Grip Pipe Thin. I know. <laughs> and think, right, I love the goons. Wonderful. Right, this seems to be a good point at which to take a short break for some adverts. But we will be back with David very soon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Okay, let's waste no more time and get straight back to Sir David Jason and find out what else he'd like to put in his time capsule. It's very obvious, I think, when you read your book, the things that have been important to you. Yeah. I love the descriptions of you going to the movies and how much that world, that sort of bright, colourful, elegant world in the cinema in the 50s, yeah. When you've been, you know, through a war, they were still rationing, and outside is a grim world, really. It was, and you know what, that a reason, again, which we should remember, which incidentally, I'll say this to you, 
and remind me to tell you about that cinema experience with my mother mm. and how much effect it had. But one of the areas that we've forgotten about, I say we, not you and I, but the modern way of working in film and television, there's been one or two graphic examples of this, is to internalise your performance. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I will think myself into the state, the period, whatever it is, of the person that is living in that period, that social area, whatever it is, right? And I'll do it and make it totally real. But in doing so, I will then talk like this. Mm. And, uh, I'd say, I'd say, so excuse me, I can't quite hear what you're saying. <laughs> Listen, this is the way that I work. I'm in the character, I'm in the zone, I'm giving you reality, <laughs> I'm giving you all of this, right? The directors seem to be frightened. Oh, dear. He's brilliant, he's brilliant. Yeah. Now, hold on. You're absolutely doing nothing because you are trying to tell a story right? Mm -hmm. That is your job. Mm -hmm. And in order to tell that story that has been given to you by a writer that you trust and believe in, and the story, because you are the actor, you've taken the job, mm -hmm. is to make sure that what is written on that story, that journey, that once upon a time, gets to them, yes. the audience. Yes. So they have to hear everything you've got to say. Yes and the other actors as well, it's no good you going, listen, I'm in the zone here, pal, mm. and I'm going to do it. When well, even the sound man says, I can't hear what you're saying, yeah. then, then you're in trouble. Well, I did, no names again, no patrol, because I worked with a sound man who worked on one of those shows. Uh, it was television uh, drama series, not that long ago. I can't tell you the name of it again. Yeah. But it was a... Mm, Again, if I give it all away. But I'm, but I'm trying to say it was a period piece, okay. right? A period piece. Yes. And he'd studied the language of 17th century England, say. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't understand a word of it. <laughs> and I, I happened to work with the sound man. And I said to him, did you see that show that mm. and the other night? And he said, I couldn't understand a word. And he said, I was the sound man on that. <laughs> I said, so it's you. <laughs> it's awful. Couldn't understand. He said, hold on, hold on. Oh, no. He said, I told the director a number of times, I'm having a bit of a difficulty, very polite, obviously, very careful, that uh, difficult to understand what he's saying. And uh, he said, I've already spoken to him. He's doing it exactly right. He's told me he was in period and all of this. So he's a genius. He's a genius. Now, the thing is, the director had got the script in front of him. Right? What he was saying, no one, virtually no one could understand. And <laughs> the director, because he had the script in front of him. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to be very careful if you are an actor. Don't be that grand. But who do you think you are? Because it's not you and your, this is the way I work and this is all, all of that stuff. You've got to remember, you're doing it for them. They paid money to listen to a story, yeah. piece of escapement, romance, a comedy. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, but I've got to hear what you're saying. And if, if this is television or film, 
that's even more bloody yeah. important. So, um, is this a thing you want to put into the time capsule that you'd, you'd like to get rid of? Yes. Yeah. Well, you have the right, I think, because uh, you've done probably more drama than you've done comedy yeah. in your career, strangely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Frost, you did loads and loads of it, and it's very serious stuff. Yeah. But as with all great serious stuff, sprinkled with very funny moments. Yeah. yeah. So things are touching because they've also, you've also fallen in love with the people. Hopefully, hopefully. Yes, and you've just reminded me of... Because I, I apply this to everybody. Everybody who's listening to your, your podcast mm. is that it should apply to us all. But if you can, if you're lucky enough to have something every day, your job, try and get something out of it because your life is a journey. But if you can find something that you're aiming for to give yourself and someone else the pleasure of it. And I was, again, very, very lucky. And I've always had that in my mind. This is why I told you that story about an actor. Just remember, just remember, it's not you. It's not all about you. You've got nothing to do with it. You two should be working for them out there. Yes, absolutely. So Get over it. Get, exactly. Yeah. Get over it. Tough. Or get out. What was it? There was a story about Anthony Hopkins was working on a film... And he left the set, and he, the director then was giving the other actors for bollocking and shouting and raising his voice and saying how, you know, this, that and all the other. And Anthony Hopkins heard all this, came back onto the set and said to the director, just a second, just a second, I heard what you were saying to the other actors, don't be more polite, just remember, this is not heart surgery, okay? And he left the set. Because... That's true. There are ways in which you can talk to an actor and say, no, listen, come on, we got to, you know, and all of that, which we've all had. But mainly, it's all about us working as a team yes. to get the best bit, story, whether it's a drama, whatever it is, out to that audience. Yes. And that story of finding bits that would fit, not doing it for any other reason, but the thing with Frost that I said, that he's a policeman, but he's a human being. So he's a person, he's a man who, you know, he's got a terrible job sometimes, and sometimes it's not so bad, but he loves his job and he hates the criminal, right? Mm. And there's one I remember that I came into the office the, at the entrance where all the people come to yeah. sort of say, excuse me, yeah, where the desk is. And I came in and I said to this, uh, this actor, and I said, I had to say something like, well, any news? What is it? And they said, well, tell you what the governor wants to see you, but, oh, yeah, what's that? Well, what he said was, and there's a little scene, right, with this. So I said to this actor, I said, i tell you what, why don't you have a cup of tea? <laughs> he said, you have this cup of tea and have a sip of it and put it down, and then I'll come in and then I will then go, yes, what is it? Oh, yeah, what? Mm, yeah, mullet. What does he want? <clears throat> Right. You tell you, and I took his tea. his tea. Yeah, so <laughs> we had that. Was, which, okay, funny. So yeah. he then reacted and went, but didn't say anything. No. So I said, okay, right. Oh, well, I better be off. That's terrible. I ain't got any sugar. And <laughs> there you are. And then he left him going, oh, I don't know whether I want to drink that now. And then we were off. <laughs> Absolutely, somewhere. yeah. But, now, my mother in law knows a bit. Doreen, I'll give her a name check. And know, I Doreen. went into her room yesterday afternoon and she was watching Frost. Oh, yeah. And I said, I'm talking to that man tomorrow. 
And she said, oh, he's very funny. He's very new. He's always nicking people's food. And then she said something you'll be very pleased with. She said, you can always hear what he says. Ah, there you are. There you are. And that is uh, the answer to modern acting, modern actors. And what I think that a lot of them haven't come up through the theatre, they've come up through the media of television and film. And they then start getting in their head because they don't have an audience to react to them. They study the script and the part and they do... I'm not talking about everyone, but some of them, some of them. And they fall in love with their own ability to create whatever it is inside their head. Mm. And they have all these defence mechanisms about, I'm in the right period, I say it right, I'm getting it right here, and it's your job to get it there, and etc. You've heard all those stories. Mm. But the one thing that they forget is those people out there, it's once upon a time, you've got to tell them and make the story. Yes. And it's not as if you're not doing that thinking. You're not, you know, that thought isn't through your head. It's perfectly clear. I'll go back to the episode of Only Fools that we did. One of my favourite lines in all episodes of it is when you're talking to Nick in the bar about him buying a condom. Remember that? Don't you too many jokes for you to ever remember them all? No. And unlike the rest of the world, you don't watch Only Fools and Horses every other week. Well, <laughs> you know, no, I do you know, sometimes. Sometimes. But yeah. uh, you're in the bar talking about it. He's saying that he's going on holiday with Cassandra, so he wants to be careful. Right. So he's bought down the, the mini mart, he went down there and bought a comb and stuff, but he wanted to buy some condoms. And you say, well, that's very mature of you, very adult, you know, in this day and age, it'd be safe, yeah. He said, but, you know, I tried to, but there's a stigma attached. And then there's a pause. And in that pause, you can see your brain working. And you then say the, the brilliant line, he says, there's a stigma attached, and you say, that's a bit of silver paper, you just throw that away. You're absolutely right. Because if you had said, no, that's a bit of silver paper, you just throw that away. Okay, that's one way of doing it. But if you hold on to that moment and you've already got the fact that Dell is not quite as, uh, you know, bright as he'd like to be. He's puzzled. He's puzzled by what his his younger brother's just said. And you can see that puzzlement. That's it. And he's working it out. Yeah. And oh, he I know what it is. Mistake it's that bit of paper on the uh, lid. So, that's what he's on about. Yes. Because yeah, yes. he doesn't know the word stigma. Exactly. Lovely. And, and it's that, a lovely thing, the detail of it, it's beautiful. Yeah. 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 And again, the nice thing about playing that character was he's a human being, meaning like everyone, sometimes he'll come across a word or something or some piece of information that he doesn't understand but he thinks he should no so he tries to bluff it out and other times he gets affected with emotion because there was one uh, storyline in fools and horses where rodney says something or other about his mother and the father they were never around for rodney when he was there and del suddenly loses it and says, what do you mean they weren't there? Don't you understand? He said, over the years, who has been up there? Who's put bread on the table? Me. I've been out there. I've been looking after you. And suddenly, this fool, bit of a buffoon, bit of a tink jack the lad, suddenly becomes very real, very emotionally moved. Mm. Mm. And he's nearly brought to tears by 
the, the fact that Rodney should say this about the family, yeah. about what he's done. So that ability to manipulate the character to, to entertain you, the audience, is part and parcel. But you've got to have that range as well and treat, treat that drama, if you like, with as much import as how you treat uh, your comedy, if you like, everything else. It's yeah. not me that's doing it. It's the character that is embedded in me, but I've got to get it across to you. Yeah. That's always been my driving force because you've had to listen to the audience in those days when you're in the theatre to get your things across. Yeah. And uh, as I say, that you brought back some lovely memories. Of, yeah, of, the point is your life has not been all you know, sunshine and roses. You know, you talk about in the book about working, uh, doing pantomime in Newcastle and having a terrible cold. At Christmas 1979, I think. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Staying in a hotel on your own, just not being able to get home for Christmas. And then also, when people read the book, they'll realise probably a thing they don't know is the number of times that you were knocked back, the number of times that you had shows that, that had all the potential to be great shows, yeah. and they didn't quite work. You know, they'll also find out about the fact of Dad's Army. I, oh, yeah. I won't yeah. necessarily spoil it. People no. should read the book to find yeah. these things out. But do tell me about that thing that you said remind you of, your mum in the cinema. Oh, yes. Yeah, you did. i tell you what it was. We, like a lot of people, and, you know, you don't keep harping on about it, but very poor. No, we weren't poor because we brought up in just a hard-working-class yeah. family. And if you couldn't afford things, there was no such thing as credit cards and all this. You just couldn't have it. No. So as a kid, you'd go out to parcel shops and you'd see, like, dinky toys and saying, oh, look, can I have that? No. Oh, why? Why? We can't afford it. End of. Yeah. So you were very... Well, you might even cry sometimes. And, well, I... I no. No, we just can't afford it. But what we did used to do, my mother used to take me to the cinema, as it was in those days. Twice a week we'd go, once for the Odeon, once for the Gaumont. And all those things that we used to see was the big American movies and all of this. And the entertainers of the Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy was my favourites of all time. They were the best, and they still are. But one of the things that I could not believe was there were films like with Doris Day and Rock Hudson, romantic comedies, yeah. right? And as a lad of about 12, 14 or whatever it was, sitting in the audience with such a respect for... We didn't have a fridge, for example. Leftover food was put in the oven or in a cupboard, I remember, to, yeah. you know, overnight or wherever it was. But to see a film, see someone like Rock Hudson just talking about breakfast and saying, hi, darling, I'm home, open a fridge <laughs> and take out a chicken leg and say, anyway, so how did it go today? And then, you know, I used to think, yeah, how can they do that? Because my mother would go berserk if I did that because that's for the family. Yeah. If we had a chicken leg that was left over, you couldn't just go and help yourself. It's another meal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And a fridge the size of your pantry. Yes. You know. So two things, America must have been like heaven. And for us to open a fridge was packed with food and to take out a chicken leg, 
<laughs> which is the whole family's bleeding meal for a bleeding week mm. for us. And he rode up. Uh, Look, yeah, it's yeah. getting late now. Absolutely. What have you we got to go say? To go. Before we finish, I've got something for you. So you can get on with your life. I've got, Be careful I've got, what you're taking out of that I, pocket. I don't, well, I thought I ought to pay you back with that. <laughs> did you, is that, did you get that? Yeah. That's a Groovy Gang badge for you. You've never got to be a member of the Groovy Gang. No, I didn't. So no. now you can be. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> How did you get it? I nicked it. <laughs> did you? Oh, that's a wonderful little... That was... <laughs> <laughs> they had bags of them. So there you are, that's yours. Bless you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you, David. It is. We could do a whole series. We could. We? I'll come back and do it again. <laughs> yes. I'll pop round next week and we'll do next lesson for people. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, lessons to be learned. And yes. I suppose, in a way, you have reflected that in, which I hadn't really realised, is that's part of the journey of the book, is that way of learning through the process of doing a job that fortunately one enjoyed, but learning how to do things yeah. and how to enjoy things. Yes, as much through your failures as through your successes. Yes, right. you're absolutely right there as well. But There's a phrase you use in the book where you say, you think a career is easy, but there's many a slip between cup and lip, that, yeah. that phrase. Um, when I read that, it made me think, yeah, but if there was a slip between cup and dip, you'd turn it into a routine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Did you want some... That's, the question is, is, because you pay your annual membership and because of COVID and we've been shut down, we've got, like, hundreds of pounds of credit, so the meal's free. Bloody hell. As they say, and lovely jubbly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Sir David Jason. We never did quite get round to finding a fifth item for the time capsule, but I like to think David would put his groovy gang badge in there. We did get a masterclass in comic timing, though, didn't we? And there's plenty more in David's autobiography, A Dell of a Life, available... well, available everywhere, I should imagine but we do have a link to it in the description of this episode, if you want to use that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to it on Apple, Acast, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. Please do rate us and leave a review if the opportunity presents itself, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the latest news about My Time Capsule. Just search at MyTCPod or at Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music is by Past the Peas Music. It was a cast off production. So, until next time, stay groovy. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 